Welcome to Blondie and the Brit, Writing, Publishing, and Beyond. You can find our show notes and more information about our podcast at blondieandbrit.com. That's B-L-O-N-D-I-E-A-N-D-B-R-I-T.com. Welcome to Blondie and the Brit podcast. I am Blondie, KJ Waters. And I'm Suzanne Cowman. I'm the Brit. And together we're Blondie and the Brit. Yay! Woohoo! I am the author of Stealing Time. And I'm the author of the Rejected Writers Book Club. This week we welcome back Jerry Walker. She is the podcast award winner for Best Professional Publishing Tip. Today, we welcome Jerry Walker to our podcast. I met Jerry on the social media sites and I've been featured on her blog a few times. She was also the editor of my novel, Stealing Time, and did a great job for me and I uh, highly recommend her. She's an author, an editor, and a blogger and has several books in progress and several books published. Two travel memoirs, The Two Yosemites and Animal Catters of the Yellowstone Kind, Such is Life, which is a short story collection, and popular post stories in plain English. All of her covers, uh, coincidentally or not, were done by my uh, book cover business, Blondie's Custom Book Covers. Welcome, Jerry, to the program. Hello. Thanks for having me, KJ and Suzanne. And just we'll add, this is my first podcast, so go me, I guess. Congratulations! Woo-hoo! Yay! Well, hey, that's exciting. So all of your fans can now hear your voice. Yes. Your blog has such a huge following. I've been on it a few times, and what really surprised me about it was how many people comment. How did you build your blog to have such a good response? LinkedIn, I found this group. It's called Bloggers Helping Bloggers. And the main premise of Bloggers Helping Bloggers is, you know, we reciprocate on each other's comments. So, and I would say 50 to 75% of the comments will come from people in that group. Because my, my strategy with commenting, I've had to work really hard to get it under control because when I first started, it was just like, you want to comment on all these other blogs and hope someone comments back, you know? So I had to rein that in a little bit because mm-hmm. once you, you know, get up and running, you can only spend so much time because a blog can, you know, as much as you like it, it can take a lot of time. Yeah do those comments so it's like some people decide to become part of that community fostering that sense of support I guess is really important definitely when I was on there that they read the article they understood it wasn't just like random comments and then I know for sure that a few people have gone and bought my book and read it and then left me a review so Mm -hmm. I would say they're they're not just people that you're interested in these are people that are invested in you Jerry because of you know the the reputation that you've built with your blog and we should mention what it's called tell us the name of it and kind of how you started it Jerry well the address is jerrywb.com so I'm j-e-r-i-w-b.com website now is called word bank editing and writing the blog is probably three and a half years old but my, my focus now is mainly on you know writing tips and publishing tips and I do right now I'm doing like one author interview a month so I try to keep two writing tip posts a month and then an author interview and some kind of literature focused post I mean I used to do book reviews and I met a lot of people that way that's how I got it started that's how I got started with with the editing was I would post book reviews a few years ago and people just started they're like wow those are really detailed and specific and you know I was highly critical but in a very I think professional way mm-hmm. and you know people just started to ask me I would get requests have you ever thought of you know giving someone feedback on their manuscript and I'm like I suppose I could you know I do have a master's degree in English and I've mm-hmm. taken creative writing workshops and all that stuff so that's you know I, the freelancing started entirely randomly 
you know, and then from there, I'm now freelancing full time and supporting myself. So it's been a really interesting journey that, that way. That's good. So it all started with the blog. I didn't realize that. Right? That's really interesting. That's a great way. I mean, that's like entrepreneurial spirit there. It's something, opportunity was presented to you and you took advantage of it. I love it. Uh, but, you know, it's like, well, if I'm going to write a book, I have to have a blog. You know, so I had a blog yeah. and I, you know, I've written about travel stuff and I, you know, did the book reviews and then just the, the editing started to happen. So now the Jerry WB site is more focused on my editing business. Where do you get your material, Gary? Is it all your own material? KJ wrote, I think, four posts for me at one point. Yeah. And then, so KJ and then, like, Denise Bear, she's an author, has written a few posts. And then I just have, you know, like, uh, Rick Pepito, he does, you know, stories about zombies and stuff like that. He's done a few guest posts for me. So some of the people who have guest posted for me once that they love the response they get with all the comments. And, you know, sometimes people do go out, yes, and buy their book or maybe write a review. And so they like to come back. So it's like I have a good, just regular handful that I've featured now probably two or three times. I try to have a guest post at least every other month. Yeah, and it's also a good way to, you know, their following then comes over to see your blog, mm -hmm. and it adds to your blog uh, following it cross-pollination. How effective do you find that the blogging is for selling books? Have you, I mean, with your books, you've got four out there right now. With, with book marketing, it's just this huge mystery to me. <laughs> when I was more of an author focus, when I did put out the ebooks. You know, I, I think a blog just needs to be a way to connect with people. You know, let them see who you are and what you do, and you'll get some book sales from it. It's like you can't say your blog by any means will be the main vehicle yeah. you know, to, to get people interested in your books. But it's a nice support, I guess. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's an add-on. It's content to put out on social media that allows you to have people follow you back and then look at your blog and then your book is there. So it's the sideways marketing that we're all trying to do where it's about your personality and what you know and you're creating your expertise and it's, you know, kind of your brand rolled in. And you're not like, buy my book, buy my book. No, it's here's my content. Yeah. Here's my content. Like it, share it, and let's grow, you know. Well, like, I mean, I've found promoting your books to me is just like the freelance business, in which I'm more focused on now is, you know, when I do look for projects, I find them. You know, and it's like when I do promote, but it's like you find readers if you make the efforts. You know, yeah. Find readers. And I just think a lot of people don't get how time-consuming. It's like you write the book, but then you spend, you have to put more effort into finding readers for the book. Exactly. That's the, the author's uh, curse, if you would call it. People always told me, you know, the writing the book is the easy part. I'm like, this is not easy. And then, you know, once it's out there. <laughs> so you should at least, at least tell our listeners about your books and the names of your books, Gary, just in case there are people out there that do want to read it. When I first, you know, moved to North Carolina and I started my blog, and just like, oh, wow, people are doing great in self-publishing. You know, what can I publish? So I did popular post stories in plain English just as a way to basically practice formatting an ebook, uh, but yet fulfilling a need. So I took five post stories, like his most popular ones. And when I taught English, I would do an exercise with my students where they would just, God, he's so confusing. And the language is just, you know, he's a very high level writer and complex vocabulary. And, you know, I, I love Poe's style. Uh, but what I did is I went in and I paraphrased all of Poe's stories into more user-friendly English. Oh. So I, that, that was my first book. But I feel that, you know, there there is a place for literature, like, you know, a Shakespeare or whatever it is, it's like to can modernize it. And I was going to say, I'm sure every teenager out of there that's reading Poe would be excited to know that. Yeah. And I mean, with the Poe book, I'm getting ready to attempt to do print versions of these. But with the print version of the Poe book, I'm going to add in the original stories, you know, because they're all public domain now. 
And so we'll have my paraphrased version and then the original version because I've had emails from a handful of teachers, like especially special ed teachers. They were like, oh, I would totally use this book for my students who struggle you yeah. know, with, with Poe's language. Short stories, it's a collection such as life. There's there's five short stories. My conundrum with being an indie author is I'm my short stories and my background is in literary fiction. So I write stories that are well they're just, you know, slice of life, realism. I did five stories in that collection and then the travel memoirs, the two Yosemites and then Animal Encounters of the Yellowstone kind. I had a Admittedly, still trying to find my footing as, you know, what type of author do I want to be? Well, I hope you find it. And you told me the other day you're working on a novel right now. Is that true? Um, I, I have been writing a novel. I did the first draft in nine months when I moved to North Carolina. And it's called Lost Girl Road. It takes place in northwest Montana. There is actually a Lost Girl Road. Um, my family has some property um, in northwest Montana. And as a kid, I was just always like, ooh, that's, you know, we would tell stories like Lost Girl Road. Why is it called that? Huh. So I, you know, I, I wrote the story of Lost Girl Road. You know, in the 1950s, a family is camping and this girl, you know, disappears. And there's, you know, I'm trying to write a suspense novel, which I'm finding is harder. I initially thought it would be. But, you know, it's just the story of a girl goes missing and then there's, you know, lots of, you know, secrets have been kept hidden. But I'm still playing around with the structure right now. So, I'm, you know, it's probably halfway where it needs to be. And, and how soon do you think that might come out? Should we light a fire under you, Terry? Well, I'm, <laughs> I admittedly have not worked on it now for nine months. Oh, my gosh. It's taking my, a rest. Uh, so the novel has, I will finish it, you know, even if it's going to take me five years to finish yeah. that first book. You say some people put their novels aside. Mine took nine years. Mm -hmm. I definitely put it aside. I had a baby. I had surgery. Yeah. I moved across the country. And it was exactly that. And I yeah. think by waiting, though, I was able to add all these layers. I thought about it the whole time. If I'd written it really fast, I think it would not have, you know, wouldn't have had all these twists and turns and layers and everything. And by taking my time, it turned into, you know, a much deeper story. So yeah. Yeah. good luck. I hope that works out for you. One of the things that I think is really important is to have an editor, especially if you're an indie author. Can you give us your take on that? You know, as someone who is working as an editor, but also as a writer, uh, for me, I just, I guess knowing your strengths and weaknesses counts when it comes to editing. Uh, because me as a writer, I know my weakness is in the, when I'm developing you know, longer pieces that I've been working on. I think it's just, it comes down to for indie writers, get as much help as you can from all kinds of sources by realizing, you know, when it comes to editing, you might be able to get away with having lots of beta readers for free in the developmental stage, but yet, you know, maybe making sure you pay a proofreader or a copy editor, you know, at the later stages. Right, right. So you're saying, you know, maybe at the very end of, of your whole process before you go to publish, have someone who is a fresh eye and someone who is trained in this to do it, yeah. You know, like I, I look at your story and how you have this brand and all these twists and turns going on and the time travel and everything else at the same time. And, you know, for me working on a novel, it's just, that's, that's definitely where I struggle. So it's like if I have someone read my stuff, I greatly appreciate when I can get the developmental feedback. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's probably the difference between us. I would be a bad editor. 
I'm just not very detailed. And, you know, your personality is very structured and very organized and very detailed. And that's why you make such a good editor. I know there's a lot of people that are listening that may not really understand the editorial process. Mm -hmm. And there are definitely different styles of editing to go through. I wonder if you could explain to our listeners sort of the difference between, say, a story edit or a line edit. Well, when it comes to developing a story, you can hire, like, a writing coach or developmental editor person, but to coach a person through a book. You know, it's like they have bits and pieces, but yet you become the coach or the teacher who helps them construct a story. So that would be developmental editing. Uh, Beyond that, though, there's line editing and copy editing. And that's when you get into, you know, line by line, you're looking at the syntax of the sentences. You know, does everything make sense? And then after that, with proofreading, you're just spelling, grammar, you know, capitalization. So proofreading, you're not going to rearrange the sentences. So proofreading is the final stage in the process. I like to copy edit the most because it's where you make writing so concise. I love chopping out words. That's like my favorite thing ever. (laughs) Your favorite thing ever. You chopped a lot out of mine, but mine was still pretty wordy. (laughs) When people are looking for an editor, what are the things that they should should look at? I mean, I know that for you, you gave me a 10-page sample edit, so you went through and kind of showed me what you're about, but there's got to be different styles and different levels of expertise. Uh, What would you tell our our writers out there? I would think, you know, hands down, you know, does the editor do a free sample? So when I ask for, you know, 10 pages, it's so I can get a sense of, you know, where the story's going, the author's style, uh, issues that might crop up, but then I will, if it's a critique... I give feedback on the first five pages for free. And if it's a proofreader or copy edit, I just do like the first two pages, which is about 500 words, give or take. And I mean, it's, it's enough for that person to get a sense of your approach. So, you know, with critiquing, the art is to be critical, but yet in a positive way. You know, it's like, because right. everyone has strengths and weaknesses. So, so you know, does the editor treat you, you know, I think it is a living, breathing human being who has feelings, you know, because as a former teacher, that's, you know, something that in feedback there, there really is an art form. So, you know, a lot of people hire an editor without that understanding of what level of editing do I need. And also, too, you know, I would think copy editing, you know, does the editor do a style sheet? What exactly is a style sheet? Um, well, a style sheet is, it's just kind of like a guide uh, for the book and style sheets. You know, track anything from giving you a short chapter summary. You know, the editor will list all the names of the characters. Uh, when I did Stealing Time for KJ, it was, you know, I know a lot about the German language and linguistics. If there's a foreign accent, like to have a part on the style sheet that keeps track of all of that. If a word needs hyphenated or if Xbox gets a capital you know, X on it, there's a place on the style sheet to put that. So if it was passed on to someone else, like with KJ's book and the character Matthias, okay, so Matthias is Prussian, but every time he has a word with an accent on it, it's like you don't want to represent his accent in three different ways with the same word. Okay. So so on the style sheet, it'll say when he says the German W sounds, you know, every time he says what, it will be represented this way in the text. You know, so like it's a legend or a key. So for accents, it comes in handy. And one of the things I really liked about how you provided the edits back to me is that you did a style sheet. And so that now when I'm writing the second book, I can go back to the style sheet and try not to make those same mistakes. So the editing job is better. And then, you know, as I'm writing too, not just the editing phase, 
I'm a better writer because I've learned all these things that, that Jerry taught me about, you know, just being more concise. You don't need so many words. When I do a style sheet, and then I also do like an overview letter to the writer that just highlights, you know, the, the major strengths and weaknesses. Uh, but with the style sheet, I made a section for the Chicago Manual style. So, I mean, you know, the Chicago Manual is this big, fat, thick book, and most people could care less about it. But at least on the style sheet, you know, I put... Like, I have some links, you know, if you're curious, you can yeah. click on the link and, you know, get more information because I just found myself writing the same, you know, it's like there's the same 10 things that most writers really tend to struggle with. So it's like instead of writing it again and again and again, I'm just like, well, I'll put a section on the style sheet for, you know, maybe how to use quote marks correctly for emphasis or italics for emphasis. And then, you know, so then it's like it's always on the style sheet. And if that's something the author has an issue with, they can, you know, see it there. And I didn't have to, like, you know, putting that information in my letters I was writing. Well, I have a great editor, but I had that editors in the past that, you know, what you were just talking about, the fact that, you know, you have those common mistakes. What's the one that you see over and over again that you wish people were aware of? There's, you know, a good handful of them. But the one in my most recent manuscript that I was working on, it say that, so using words like felt, heard, looked, you know, it's like trying to get those words out of the manuscript just because it puts a filter between the character and the reader. So instead of saying, I felt sad or, you know, I felt like it was the end of the world, it's just, you know, to, to use stronger description instead of felt, looked, you know, words like that. Um, pronoun overuse, like it and her and, you know, they... Sentences ending with prepositions. Not knowing how to format dialogue is a big one, you know, that I find again and again. It's all those little nitpicky things which really get in the way of the story. Again, that's why editing is so important to have that final person who can catch those things that, you know, you're not thinking of when you're in the middle of, you know, getting your plot down on the page. I think you're really selling your novel short. It could be a fabulous story, but you're going to lose readers. You're going to have people just, you know, look at your product as not quality. And that's, I, I know yeah. it's an expense, but if you're trying to be a professional writer, which I think yeah. if you put something on Amazon, that's huh. kind of what you're doing. You need to take the time and effort and, and get a good editor. And yeah, I like, to think it's, I like to think it's like dressing for an interview, KJ. You know, you wouldn't go to an interview in your sweatshirt and your T-shirt unless you didn't want the job. Even if you've got all the skills, you have yeah. to go and present do in a beautiful way. Mm -hmm. You know, so exactly. you have to look tidy and clean. So that's just like editing, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, and something, though, that does come to mind with, with indie authors, the list of, you know, things that, that people will do. And, like, part of lazy, lazy writing, maybe not using stronger verbs comes in a lot you know relying on is was and were but a big one I you know technically when you join two independent clauses together you know I like to ride horses comma and they are beautiful right they're supposed to be that comma in there but stylistically you can choose to leave that comma out but I think you know and I tell the indie authors I work with you know more often than not let's put that comma in there but yet people don't allow for style some people just don't like commas yeah you know? that was so, me that was definitely yeah. my thing i told you when we started <laughs> don't overcome on my text yeah. so you know it's like and that that's good with the style sheet helps with some of those things because you know if you work for a publishing house they have a certain way of doing things you know this yeah. is how we treat like technically goodbye is supposed to be hyped you yeah. know if you look it up in the dictionary uh, but you know it's like that that's a choice you know do you yeah. want goodbye to be hyphenated or, you know, technically okay should be spelled out O-K-A-Y instead of okay. It, with an indie author, it's like there, there is no style sheet except for what you make. 
Like there's no, you know, it's like an official style sheet because there's no, you know, it's like you're your own publisher. So you have to decide on, you know, what's acceptable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I liked about you too, is that when I started editing, you know, you asked me some questions, you know, are you the Oxford comma? Yeah. You asked me, yeah. says, what is your preference on Oxford comma? And I'm like, well, First, tell me what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but I did have a strong preference on that. And I want, you know, it's like things like that. Instead of you just pushing it down my throat, you were very good yeah. about trying to accommodate my style and things that I liked. And then as we were going through, I was like, oh, wait, there's this one other. I can't remember what it was, but there's something else that I was just kind of picky about. It may not have followed the, the typical rules. I think there's a lot of different rules for grammar. And that's why you went to that you one You didn't particular. like which. Which and that, yes. Yeah, the, the witch versus that. So we, right. we went back and got rid of some witches. Which is appropriate for the witches. It was appropriate for the book, too. There's witches in the book, so, you know, like, didn't want any extra witches. Which are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right yeah. good memory jerry that's good see your detailed brain comes in handy for a lot of things um one of the questions that we ask all our authors is to talk about what your top social media tips are what works for you probably i mean for me the best thing has been twitter and again it's not just you know buy my book you know type of thing but a, a, a random interesting way i mean people who are into writing and following you know hashtags or posting like interesting quotes from your story and like just those little things that might catch someone's eye. So I think, and Twitter can be kind of noisy. I mean, when you look at it, you're like, oh, I have 8,000 followers. But really, you know, with Twitter, I would tell anyone to start grouping their people into lists. Probably when I had 1,000 followers, I went in and I made like five lists on Twitter. So like when I add anyone else, either they're in the, the book blogger category or the book promoter category or editors, etc., which can be cover designers, literary agents. So just, you know, grouping your people on Twitter can be a great way to keep track of them. And then from Twitter, I've found that people will catch your eye on Twitter, but then if you start paying more attention to them, then you're more likely to follow them on Facebook. And I think you get to know people better on Facebook. So, I mean, there's in Google+, Plus, everyone says you need to be using it, but yet no one is ever using Google+. Plus. So, I, I, you know, it's like... <laughs> I heard that too, and I'm like, what do I do over here? I just share like I have <laughs> the other it's one. It's like Facebook without people. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is it echoes? The echo of Google Plus. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like it's, I, I I put stuff there, and I realized it, it will help with search engine rank. Right? Yeah, when, that's... when I post a blog post, you know, those do get picked up for Google Plus, and they'll show, you know, on Google search results. Uh, but really, I mean, I think with social media, it comes down to what are you comfortable with? You know, it's like, don't do it if you don't like it. They're like, I don't get Twitter. Well, then don't use Twitter. You know, it's like if Facebook is your thing, then you try to use that more. Right. And for me, it's with the freelancing and the way I've structured my day, it's I spend a half hour to an hour between Twitter and Facebook every day. You know, and it's just don't don't put all your eggs in one basket, I guess. It's like try a lot of things, and then you'll start to figure out what works for you. Right. Jerry, on the back of what you were saying, once you put people into, I have lists too, but I don't, I don't really do anything with them. Do you do anything with them once they are listed? Uh, well, with the list, I mean, I do have a list of, like, I just call it, like, my favorite people. So those are people who I either follow their blogs or, you know, I, I got to know them through Facebook or Twitter. But, like, my, my favorite people I try to pay more attention to, I guess, okay. Twitter is such a noisy place. But then there are, when I've worked with people and they're, they're wondering, well, who's a, you know, whether it's cover design or interior formatting of ebooks or just, you know, short story contests, 
then I can go to the, the Twitter list that I've made. And at least that's like a place of, oh, here's some book bloggers for, you know, it's like, so I utilize it, I guess, more as like just a reference resource. Right. To find what you need when you need it. Yeah, I was going to ask that same question too. It, I've I've got lists in there too, and then I'm like, well, what do you do with it? <laughs> and I had a friend who was a programmer, and he was creating an app that would allow you to sort. It, once you sorted people into those lists, you could take that information and then do like a a promotion uh-huh. to them. So I started that saving. Book authors. I thought that, you know, people that were authors, people that I've called readers, they said, hey, I want to read your book. So, like, when my book came out, uh-huh. I went back to that list. They, they commented yeah. it was a year ago. They don't have no idea who I am anymore, but they said they'd like it. So, they're in my target market, right? So, I used it that way, but then I couldn't keep track of who I did and who I didn't. Because yeah. the way the lists work is whoever posts. So, it's showing their post. It's not like a static list where you can go down it. And so, it got confusing for me. But it is a way to kind of structure your following. I have, I don't know. 14,000 people on Twitter, so there's no way that I can just go through that regular yeah. feed, and half of them are people that, I don't know who they are, they post things that have no interest to me, but they're following me, so that's great, maybe they'll share my stuff, but I don't really need to see everything that they put mm-hmm. out there. One other site that I haven't explored a lot yet, just because I wouldn't know what type of writing I want to post to it, but I mean, I've seen some people have luck with Wattpad, you know, where you post, you could like just post a chapter, or I've seen people do their whole book you know, chapter by chapter, they'll post a chapter a week just as a way of finding, you know, new followers. So so Wattpad is definitely worth looking into for writers. I've had people ask me to go over there, and I was just thinking, oh, my God, one more social media site to uh, manage. Yeah, no, my yeah. head wants to just pop off. I'm already, like, capped, I feel like. But at the same time, if it's reader-focused, I mean, I think yeah. that's different than, like, Suzanne and I were talking about Goodreads and how we, you know, we do some things on Goodreads. I don't understand that site very well. So to me, yeah. I've kind of avoided. I have 900 followers and I'm like, I don't know what to do. But I'm starting to because it's focused, yeah. people that are focused on actually reading books. So uh, it sounds like Wattpad is similar where you're actually giving them samples, which makes a lot more sense than the random bunch of people on Twitter that may or may not ever read a book in their entire life. You know, Have you done Wattpad? Have you actually tested the market there? You know, I signed up for it and... The way that I'm looking at it is I'm, I'm adding followers and because it is just definitely writer focused and you have to be willing to, to read the stuff that people post. You know, it's like, it's just like with blog comments. Yeah. Like you're, you're going to get out what you put into it, but with all the social media stuff, I don't have time, yeah. you know, to, to, to do all of this. So it's like I'm gradually, you know, getting my feet wet with Wattpad, but like with Wattpad and Goodreads, you know, it's like the more I have been working with my blog and you know, writing, you have to try to find where the readers are. Yeah. You know, it's like, like you said, Twitter is, it can be hit and miss, so. Yeah, part of my problem with it, too, I think I went to sign up and they wanted your phone number and it was visible to other people and I thought, yeah, right, I have enough weirdos in my oh, personal really? oh. messages. I don't want them calling me on my phone. I uh, don't need any more weirdos. <laughs> no more weirdos, yeah. <laughs> I've had my fill. <laughs> For me and my own journey that I've gone through, you know, I, I started this thinking, wow, I'm going to write some stuff and put it out. And it definitely didn't happen that way. Try things. People think like, they think so much about brand and they think so much about, you know, how am I coming across or have I, am I writing in the right genre? And, you know, really in the, in the grand scheme of the internet or Twitter or Facebook, try out some stuff. You're, you're not going to succeed at all of it. And, you know, your, your path might go a different direction than you thought. But I mean, it's just, it's so worth it to put yourself out there a little bit and change direction. I mean, just, just 
get to know people and you know I think it's just it's okay to discover your the type of writer you want to be or I ended up you know I'm focusing on editing for now but I mean there's just so much potential out there if you just put yourself out there yeah and that's exactly true and I think that your journey is a little bit similar to mine you know I started off just with the idea of putting a book out there and then I turned into the the book cover service there was a need that I saw out there I do a little blogging and you know now Suzanne and I are doing the podcast so it's it's kind of like, you know, there's this open world. Who knows what you can create? And you go with your skill set and, you know, kind of what, what comes your way and take advantage of that. So that's what's exciting about it. Very good point. Um, we also do a lightning round of questions for all of our authors. The same questions. They're simple. And, uh, Suzanne, you want to go ahead and give that yeah, a Yeah, I'm happy to do that. I'm going to ask you 13 questions. As I just said, they're very simple. You just okay. think of the first thing that comes to your mind. It's almost fun what we learn about people through doing this. Okay. So, are you ready? Sure. Okay. First question. Tea or coffee? Oh, coffee. <laughs> Two. For writing, silence or music? Total silence. Wow. What did you want to be when you were growing up? An astronaut or a stripper? <laughs> oh my god that is my favorite wow, answer that. dude that is the best answer i've ever heard what a contrast <laughs> i love that you see no one would think when we're listening to that wonderful interview that that was part of your life exactly no go 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 i want to hear what she has to say <laughs> a book you could read every year? Quite a few, but um, probably The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. Uh-huh. That's it. Okay. Dog or cat? Mm, slight preference for dogs. Oh, she not have a cat. What author would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? Uh, probably Thoreau. Uh, me too. That, I never thought about it, but he would be cool. Uh-huh. If you'd have to find him first in the woods somewhere, but yeah, it's cool. Walden okay. Pond. I've been to Walden Pond. That's just outside of Boston. Oh, Beautiful. Yeah. I swam in that pond, I have to oh, tell yeah. you. Wow. Okay, so next question. Favorite vacation spot? Uh, Santorini, Greece. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I love it. I've never been, but the pictures look incredible. Favorite book genre to read? Probably, you know, anything under the umbrella of literary fiction is. Or a memoir. Kind of a hard I like memoirs, too. Okay. Do you write best in the morning or in the evening? More in the evening. Do you have a particular time that you start in the evening? Well, probably mid-afternoon to, to early evening. Right. Okay, cool. If money was no object, where would you live? Oh, oh, geez. Uh, probably Amsterdam and the Netherlands. Wow. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I love Amsterdam. It's a really cool city. Okay, a favorite comfort food? Oh, Tostitos tortilla chips. And salsa. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't take you a second. Did you know that? Yeah, that was a fast answer. No thinking in <laughs> that. Okay, uh, do you have any nickname? Oh, uh, well, my, my family calls me Jerry Lynn to differentiate me from my dad, who is Jerry. But, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's the closest I have to it. Oh. Wait, we might have to come up with one for her. Oh, okay. We can do that. <laughs> she might not like it, though. Yeah, no, not after the stripper question. <laughs> I know, that's all I can think about. We'll call you B&B. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Beach or mountain? Yes, definitely more of a, a mountain person. Yay. And that's it. That's all I have. Okay, that was fun. Yeah, good answer. Yes, we learned a lot about you, Jerry. Yes, that is so cool. And that your dad's name is Jerry. I didn't realize that. I love that. Yeah, I'm the, the third of three girls, and my sisters are nine and 11 years older than me. So so I came along, and I was not a boy, and I was the last <laughs> one. So, 
So I was named after Dad. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you're the youngest of three. Uh-huh. Me too. Wow. Very awesome. Well, this has been a whole lot of fun. I, I learned a whole lot of things about you. Um, it was really nice to talk about um, your editing and your blog. I think that you're, you know, you have so many people that follow you on your blog. I think they're going to be really interested to hear a little bit more about you. You know, this is a much more personal way to, yeah. uh, to get information. Please join us next week where we have a Best of Blondie and the Brit episode with me and my book cover business partner, Jody Smyers. We cover everything from book cover basics, what makes a good cover, and some of the behind the scenes that we do at our company to create some very unique covers for our customers. You can find our show notes and more information about our podcast at blondieandbrit.com. That's B-L-O-N-D-I-E-A-N-D-E. B-R-I-T dot com.